Welcome to Ikigai Stories. I'm Sam Yushio. The goal of this podcast is to showcase people who are living with intention, working hard to align actions with priorities, and ultimately to provide a platform of inspiration for those seeking to live a life rooted in purpose. In this episode, we hear from Aaron Mersch, the founder of Organized for Good. Aaron was a member of the first global cohort to learn directly from Marie Kanto, the Queen of Tidy, and was the first Konmari certified consultant in the state of Texas. At first glance, you may think that Aaron is simply helping people organize their home, but she's doing much more than that. She refers to her work as a journey of self-discovery, and that requires a clear sense of what's important, followed by a process of accountability to lead change. In many ways, Aaron's work is a physical depiction of the Ikigai discovery process. So much of our stuff is a tangible representation of the emotions, values, and priorities that can either propel or limit progress. Whether it's a closet full of jeans that you don't wear anymore, drawers filled with kids' art collecting dust, or shelves filled with books that will never be read again, the attachment to these items leads to emotional and physical clutter. Erin helps her clients engage in a supportive, therapeutic process that has tremendous value in revealing who you are while incidentally providing the tools to tidy your home. It's the best kind of bait-and-switch imaginable. Tidying is the hook, but the real benefit is the joy associated with revealing a better sense of self one item at a time. Aaron's journey includes playing soccer in college, getting a master's degree in Spanish, selling toe rings for the toe ring queen, living in Spain on two separate occasions, teaching at a Montessori school, and eventually getting introduced to a home organizer that inspired Aaron's launch of Organized for Good. Similar to episode number four with Eric Silverstein, this episode is recorded with a live audience during an Ikigai workshop in Austin, Texas. We fielded Q&A from the group, which you will hear on the second half of this episode. Aaron is a gold-certified Kolmari consultant conducting over 200 tidying sessions, and her passion to help others is clearly evident. Please enjoy Ikigai Stories, episode number five, with Aaron Mersch, founder of Organized for Good. Can you start off by talking about Organized for Good and what you do at Organized for Good? Sure. So Organized for Good is a home organizing business, so I provide a service of decluttering and then... Um, hauling away what no longer sparks joy for my client. Okay. So it's all about um, intentionally setting up your space and letting go of anything that might be holding you back, holding you in the past, or keeping you in a state of anxiousness. Okay. Um, can you talk about the the Konmori process and yeah. just what the certification process looks like and sure. how you got into it? Yeah, so to, to give kind of an overview of the KonMari method, it was introduced by Marie Kondo in The Life-Changing Magic of Tidying Up. She was a Japanese tidying consultant based in Tokyo um, whose consultant 
Etsy program or business um, really took off. So she had a long waiting list of clients who wanted her help decluttering their homes in Tokyo. As you know, they're small spaces. Um, and the people on the waiting list were so eager to get started that she put together kind of this philosophy that explained what they were about to do so they could kind of start the process or really get in the right mindset for it. But basically, what the KonMari method is, is rather than looking at organizational challenges in terms of storage products, which is, I think, kind of the Western lens or, or the American view, uh, what we're used to thinking about, rather than thinking about storage, it's really taking a closer look at what you own, what, what it is that is the clutter, you know? Um, and making a decision, like, do you really need this and want this in your life to begin with? And once you eliminate all of that unnecessary, then it becomes much easier to maintain order in your home. So that is the overarching philosophy. There's, there's more specifics to the method and we can get into that, but, um, the book was translated to English in 2014 and it gained a cult following right away. It was a New York Times bestseller. Um, around the same time, I was starting Organize for Good, and people were asking, oh, have you read that Japanese book? You know, the magic something, Spark Joy. Um, so I, I read it and immediately was like, yes, this this is it. Like, this is the, the Bible of organizing, you know? Um, so immediately it was just taken into it completely on board with the process. And so I started following her on social media and signed up for her newsletters. And she announced in 2016 uh, that she was starting a consulting consultancy training program outside of Japan. She had already had one in Japan, but it wasn't available worldwide until 2016. So I signed up for the first seminar. I went to New York. There was a three-day training. Uh, she was there, so I got to, to meet the queen of tidy. Um, and it, the training was all led through interpreters, so it, it seemed very authentic and still it still is. But um, yeah, so it was a three-day training program. And then after that, you had to submit before and after photos of your own home to, to prove that you practice what you preach. And then you had to complete 50 hours of training clients. So practice practice sessions with clients and then pass a final exam. So that whole process took me about 12 months to finish, to get certified. I was the first certified consultant in Texas mm -hmm. and I'm now a gold level, but basically I, with experience and a number of sessions, number of clients, you advance um, and yeah, I love what I do. Is the gold level new? I think the, no, they, have you achieved that recently? Yes, it is. Okay. Yes. All right, all right. Uh, last month. Okay. Nice. Yeah. Congratulations. I up-leveled. Nice. Congratulations. Thank you. How many levels are there? Um, Infinite? Six or seven. Okay. So after gold is platinum and then I think master. Okay. Yeah. So I've all got right. a couple levels ahead of me. Right. <laughs> uh, what was that three day like? Can you describe that Oh my gosh. Process? Well, I can describe the energy. It was... Um, it was incredible. So people from all around the world, you know, I expected it to be mostly Northeasterners. I've never been in New York City, so I just kind of assumed that it would be New York centric. And that wasn't at all the case. There were people from all over the world, Western Europe, South America, mm. um, and people who had completed this process in their own home and 
we're just filled with joy and so excited to be starting this journey. I mean, when when you look at what the KonMari method really entails, it becomes clear that it's much more than organizing your home and setting up a pretty, you know, Instagram photo post. Um, it's kind of a journey of self-discovery because through the process of eliminating everything that does not bring you joy, then all of a sudden the number of your possessions is drastically reduced. You have much more time and freedom and you can pursue other things that are important in your life. So when you bring together a bunch of people who have done that and have clarity on their values and on um, how they want to spend their lives, it was just a really exciting. And the fact that it was the very first one, it was just... The energy was palpable, that's all I can say. Yeah. Yeah. How many people were in the room, roughly? I think like 150. Oh, wow. Okay. Okay. It was a big group. But, you know, they had us grouped kind of in tables like this based on our regions. So Mm -hmm. I was with some other people from Texas and the Southwest. Okay. Yeah. What did your picture look like before and after? Was it a drastic change? It was, well, so I was already pretty organized, um, but I had just moved. This is like kind of, I had just moved in with my boyfriend. So I was moving into his home, but I was decluttering my stuff. (laughs) And he was a bachelor before, so he had like a UT flag for a a curtain in one of the windows. And like, aside from the TV, like there was an art on the walls. It was kind of a blank slate, sort of. So the after photo was after I had completed my KonMari method, which is only with my stuff. And then Eric, my husband, did it with his stuff as well. So, and then we redecorated together and we're kind of intentional, like, okay, let's use this space, you know, set it up for our workspace. You know, we can have a little yoga nook over here and, you know, here's how we want to organize our kitchen. So at that point it was kind of a a team, team project, a team building as well. Um, so the after looks a lot better. (laughs) It's not necessarily, I mean, it looks more organized, but it just sparks more joy, I guess. Was the before (laughs) a different, uh, location? No. Oh, no, I took, I took the okay. before when okay. I had literally like just brought my stuff in and was like, this is the house I'm living in mom. Like I'd, I'd taken my own pictures and sent them to my mom. Yeah. Um, but those are the ones that I used for my before. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I see. Um, so organized for good was started before you went through the process. Cause so can yeah. you talk about just what your, what you're focused on when you launched organized for good? Sure. So um, I had done a little bit of professional organizing with a, with another company and realized how much I loved working one-on-one with other people, seeing the results of my work right away. I mean, there's, there's just a satisfaction in turning chaos to clutter. Um, so I had kind of that experience and knew that I wanted to start my own business. What I did differently with Organized for Good was that I started offering um, donation and recycling Holloway because I noticed in my work that a lot of my clients like they we would you know organize say a playroom or something and then have you know a couple of boxes of donations and be like okay and take this and then I'll be here next week and we'll do the kitchen or whatever I'd come back and there'd still be donations in mm. the same place they hadn't had time to take them mm-hmm. or they didn't know where to take them you know they yeah. were having guilt about it or something um, so it was one more service that I wanted to offer my clients. And when I was going through my own KonMari process and decluttering, 
I, I did a lot of research on where can I take used blah, blah, blah. Where can I take this or that? And so I, I accumulated this list of resources of really amazing organizations in the Austin area mm. um, that can put these things to use in the community. And it doesn't feel as hard to let go because you know that they're going to get use out of them. So instead of collecting dust on a shelf somewhere, they're actually, you know, in a women's shelter, like supporting someone going through a really difficult transition or, um, you know, a bunch of crew socks that just never fit very comfortably can go to the homeless and support their feet. Yeah. (laughs) Is is the hauling process, is that part of... The, that's part of the, the service co- that I include. Is it, that's for yours, but is that typical for other? No, other Conmari organizers don't. Other okay. organizers don't do that, yeah. and it's not a part of the Conmari philosophy. Yeah. Okay. Because mm-hmm. I could see how that could be challenge. Yeah. A challenge. Yeah. I, mean, I think of some trash bags that we have, was full of stuff that needs to go to Goodwill. Yeah. yeah. And it just never goes and moms drive around with stuff in the trunk of their car all the time that they never actually get to a little too close for drop off yeah 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 (laughs) um well part of it i think is some of it emotional and some of it's just day-to-day is it more emotional or or just based on your observation do you do you you mean the the clutter the stuff that they let go of or is that they can't effectively let go of it uh, Sentimental is definitely the hardest yeah, stuff to yeah, let go of. Yeah. Um, but there's other stuff too. It's like, oh, well, I paid, you know, $75 for that dress. Like, I've never worn it, but mm-hmm. I bought it with the intention of wearing it. So right. I feel like I should keep it until I honor, you know, honor that intention or, or complete that, you know, give it a life cycle. Right. Um, but this, this method gives you permission to let go of stuff, even if you've never used it, books that you've never read before, mm-hmm. you're just supposed to ask yourself if it sparks joy and mm-hmm. if it is in alignment with your vision for your life. Yeah. So the first step, step of the KonMari method is having a vision for your ideal life. And it's not even your ideal home. It's like, what do you want? Like, what do you want to do? So that's how it's so al- well aligned with Ikigai. Right. Um, because you're asking the deeper questions and not just like, how many shirts should I have? Yeah. Yeah. So what does that process look like of uncovering meaning in life? Yeah. So you... First of all, you're working one category at a time rather than one room, which can be overwhelming if it's full of stuff. You break it down and just say one this type of thing. So you start with your clothes. You pull Mm -hmm. your clothes out of your closet, out of your dresser drawers, out of your guest closet, your hall closet, wherever you've got them, your seasonal stuff in the attic. Mm -hmm. Pull it all into one space so you can have a visual of the volume of that category and that alone is effective in the kind of shock like oh my god i did not realize i had 17 pairs of black pants right i only wear these two pairs these don't even fit me anymore like i forgot i had these the i replaced that pair so it just brings an awareness to stuff when it's all in different places you don't you're not aware of how much you have mm-hmm. um so that's the first step is gathering it all in one place and then you take one item at a time and you ask yourself, does this spark joy? Like do, it, in the case of clothes, does it fit my body now? Does it make me feel good? Do I feel most like myself? Am I holding on to this because I feel like I should have a little black dress in my collection or because mm-hmm. I should have, you know, dressy shoes or whatever? Or is it because I really love them and, and I have a use for them? Um, so can you walk through the, the tactical, so you're kind of 
touching mm -hmm. on the tactical with yeah. the the clothes it's yeah. how many steps seven steps um right? so it the categories go clothing then books then papers mm -hmm. then kimono which is japanese like miscellaneous mm -hmm. so within the kimono category there's a lot of subcategories you could think about your kitchen stuff your health and beauty stuff electronics any hobbies that you might have you want to you know kind of subcategorize together um, and then the final one is sentimental so an item can be sentimental in any one of those categories. You can have a dress that is a very sentimental one. A good example would be a wedding dress because mm -hmm. um, it doesn't serve a functional purpose in terms of clothing. It's really only serving the purpose of that emotional attachment. So since sentimental stuff is the most difficult to let go of, we save that for the absolute last step. Mm -hmm because you're honing your sensitivity to your joy as you go and learning things about yourself as you go. You're practicing letting go a lot more. So you're, you're kind of training to get to this really difficult part, which right. is all of your kids' art, all of your photographs, right. all of your you know heirloom jewelry from blah, 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 like all of that stuff in one space. And then you can make the decision like, do I need 5,000 photos or should I go through these and really only keep the ones that are in focus and, you know, correlating to a positive memory and, you know, trim, yeah. trim the fat in every category, reduce the volume overall of your possessions. And then once you're completed with the method, then you're free to pursue whatever is next. It seems like the sentimental bucket could be a treacherous catch-all yeah and some people never get there i mean yeah. some people start with the intention of completing the method and and you know make it through books and then maybe they sense if they feel a sense of relief and so they don't continue yeah but i tell you the the people who complete all the way through the sentimental are the ones that have that life-changing magic right. because it's really it's processing a lot of emotions It's a therapeutic process. Right. So you're letting go of past and, and maybe you're letting go of a little bit of anxiety of the future. And so you can live more in the present moment. Right. And surrounded by everything you love. It's kind of cool. Yeah, it is. I mean, I, so as you're describing this, it reminds me of our initial conversation mm -hmm. about the linkages with yeah. Ikigai. And it, it's like this tangible representation yeah. of, of purpose, yes. right? Cause if you're pitching this blurry photo of your kids uh -huh. or, the 115th piece of art that yeah. you really don't even know what it is. Yeah. Um, there's this tangible representation uh -huh. of what's yeah. Part I mean, of life. it's like a it's like a, a physical medium, but you're dealing with all of these difficult emotions and experiences and stories. I mean, the clutter yeah. in itself is stressful, but what's more stressful than the clutter is all of the stories that are attached to it. Right. I mean, there's there's like shame and guilt and like right. obligation and the shoulds. And, you right. know, every time you see that stuff, it's it represents so much bigger than just the stuff. Right. Yeah. How many people where so how many people kind of just on your personal experience or if you know, mm -hmm. just overall, yeah. make it all the way through and yeah. like where do they get snagged through the process it just depends i mean i've completed i think eight clients um in my two and a half years as a certified consultant um that have made it all the way through that have made it all yeah. the way through to sentimental um but people get snagged at different things i mean when you think about all of your priorities in life, like home organization may not be at the top of that list. And so mm -hmm. 
you know, even though you may want to do this, maybe you don't have the time or the budget or the energy, you know, I've, I've worked with moms who have, you know, lots of little ones mm -hmm. running around and as much as they want to get to it, they've just got, they've got to be where they are now and, right. and maybe take it slower, maybe take it, take on the process on their own, you know, and maybe they've completed on their own, just not with my assistance. So, yeah. Yeah. but I think there's, a lot of people do get snagged in the papers category, which is the third, okay. because it's really tedious. Yeah. Especially if huh. you're someone who maybe doesn't open your mail every day or throw out your junk mail, or you have like archive files or a bunch of papers from like a relative that had passed on. Yeah. I mean, it can just be a lot. It takes a lot of um, stamina to get through the paper category for a lot of people. Is it the same process where you, br you literally bring all, all the paper together, and you yeah. observe? Oh all my All the gosh. business cards, all the receipts, all of never. the... <laughs> I, it would take my entire life just to get them all in one pile. Yeah. But imagine the freedom you'd feel after letting go of everything That's you did. That's pretty good, Aaron. That's pretty good. Yeah, That's pretty good. I know. Um, joy. Joy. Do, why joy? Do you know why yeah. joy was the word that um, was selected? Do you, do you have any background on? Well, she talks about in her book, she said um, that our belongings are supposed to support our life mm -hmm. and if, and you know, bring us happiness. And if they're not doing that, then what's the point? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I think that's, that's as simple as it gets. And I think she wanted to bring it to something very simple and that, everyone it's subjective right yeah. i can't tell you what brings you joy right everyone has to decide for themselves so i can't prescribe a number of things you know a lot of especially westerners we want that prescriptive like okay what is the answer just right. tell me right. like how many pairs of pants should i have yeah but we can't yeah like that's completely up to you do you wear pants every day like do, right. are, do you feel good in pants like <laughs> right you know <laughs> it's completely up to you um so how much of your role is, this is kind of a playoff of what you just said right there. How much of your role is facilitator mm. kind of guiding them through the process and how much of your role is more um, kind of tough love, authoritarian, like not saying you need five pants, yeah. or five pairs of black pants, yeah. but like, can you, can you talk about that? Just, yeah. Or, say, and if there are other hats that you wear. Yeah. There are, yeah. um, I'd say more of the former, less of the latter. I, I mm -hmm. don't want to be authoritarian. Um, it's a very vulnerable space to walk into someone else's home yeah. and to start kind of ordering them around. So mm -hmm. I try to be really mindful of that. Like they're letting me in. Mm -hmm. I'm honored for that. Um, I will guide them through the process and I won't let them you know, manipulate me or like try to change right. it around. Instead of doing right. clothes, like why don't we start with right. books, right. you know, like, right. okay, no, this is the method. This yeah. is why it's this way. If you want to do your clothes on your own and then I can start with books with you, yeah. then I'm, I'm going to check that you did it, you know? So I can, I can be a little mean that way, but, um, but no, I, I'd say the role that I play is one of accountability because this is a big kind of overwhelming project that a lot of people, you know, to find the time for and the energy for and the discipline to get through it on your own, I think is is difficult for a lot of people. So I kind of provide the accountability role of like a, a personal trainer. If you go to the mm. gym, like you can go to the gym and work out on your own, but right. will you? Will right. you work out as hard? Will you, you know, right. uh, all of that. And then there's kind of the 
support role like i'm here holding space for you kind of mm -hmm. this is therapy in a sense so i'm holding space for however you feel if you need to cry about something or just like externally process like i don't know why i need to keep this but i got it when i was 17 in amsterdam and you know i've just had it you know and sometimes they just need to tell the story and once they tell the story they can let it go yeah you know yeah, yeah. um so i can i can be that yeah. and um sometimes people reach a, a place where they're like in analysis paralysis they're just like well i can't decide like i don't know and so then i can start asking more questions or like maybe we set that aside and we move on to something else but just to kind of guide them so we're keeping keeping our progress yeah. momentum forward what does so the the eight that went through the entire process mm -hmm. how long did that take and what's like the typical the typical process? is like three to six months but I've been working with some clients for over a year, like on a biweekly basis. Mm -hmm. um, so it just depends. It depends on how big your space is. It depends on how much stuff you have. It depends on how attached to your stuff you are and how quickly you are able to arrive at decisions. Mm -hmm. um, also, if you're able to maybe complete homework in between sessions with me, that can make it go faster. Yeah. But like I said, everybody's got busy lives and other priorities. And so sometimes, it takes a little bit longer. Sometimes people are super motivated. They want to get it done like in a weekend. And yeah. I'm like, all right, let's do it. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, what was Marie Kondo like? She's amazing. She's like, have you seen the Netflix show? I've seen the first episode. She's just like that. I yeah. mean, she's just like a little fairy. Um, <laughs> you know, she's completely non judgmental, uh -huh. optimistic, a little bit quirky, mm -hmm. um, but just like peaceful. Yeah. 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 Um, so, can you, so here's the, the shift gears part. Can you talk about what, what you're doing before, what your life looked like, yeah. and kind of how that journey led you to? Organized for good. Yeah. How do I go about it the quick way? Because um, <laughs> it's kind of a story. When I was born, yeah. it was a rainy night. No. Um, so <laughs> I guess starting at college makes sense. Um, I went to Texas State in San Marcos and I studied Spanish. Mm -hmm. um, I grew up in San Antonio, so I kind of always had a fascination with Spanish language and culture. You know, I felt like I didn't have a culture because I was white or something. But um, so I was always kind of after that and I was really obsessed with becoming bilingual. Mm. Um, so I studied Spanish in college and, and thought that I would go into education. I took some education classes became disenchanted with the education system. Like, I'm not going to make money. I'm going to work too hard. I'm going to be doing all administrative work and not enough teaching. It's going to be, and these are stories I told myself, um, it's going to be an elective that kids aren't going to care about, you know, all these stories. So I'm like, I, scrap that idea. What's next? Um, I ended up studying abroad in Spain. And that was like such a mind expanding experience for me, being in another culture, um, pursuing my goal of becoming fluent um, but just feeling lost and like really small, um, it was a really transformative experience for me. I went back to Texas state. I ended up getting a master's in Spanish. Um, and I went from there. I went back to Spain cause I'm like, I'm not done yet. I was an au pair outside of Madrid for six months. So I was like a nanny to two kids. 
and taking art classes and trying to explore myself. Like, what am I going to do with a career? I don't know, but I'm going to be in Europe and just do do what I want. Um, it was during the like financial crisis here, like jobs weren't plentiful. So I'm like, well, I'm just going to buy time, whatever. Mm -hmm. um, I came back. I got a job in Austin at a study abroad company. And my job was uh, a custom program manager. So I worked with faculty from U U.S. universities all over the country who wanted to take their own students and study abroad with the support of a provider. So we were a study abroad provider. And I got to use my language skills. I got to use my mm -hmm. insider knowledge of Spain to kind of facilitate these trips and make mm -hmm. really interesting experiences for these students. But at the end of the day, I was behind a computer or on the phone in a cubicle on the side of a highway. And I didn't really get to see the results of the work that I was doing. And there was something really disheartening about that. So I did that for about two and a half years. At the end of my time there, my dad got sick. He um, got brain cancer mm. and he died really quickly. And it just really shook me. I was a daddy's girl. Um, I was extremely close with my father. And it just kind of threw me into this existential thing. Like, you know, is this what life is all about? Like, we never know when we're going to go. Is this what I want to do? You know, work. I was working long hours. I was just, you know. So I didn't know what I wanted to do, but I knew that it wasn't that anymore, that I had kind of learned all I needed to from that position and that I wanted to have more control over my day-to-day -day work and my life. So I quit and I started exploring different sides of entrepreneurship. My stepmom was um, an entrepreneur. She has a toe ring business. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> so I started working with her, uh, selling toe rings at festivals and events. And yeah, it's like fitted toe rings. So you're like putting them on people's toes and yeah. they last forever. They're really nice. Toe ring queen, by the way, still around. Go get yourself some toe rings. <laughs> Um, so I started doing that. I got a job. A friend of mine works at, or worked at a Montessori school and they needed mm. some extra afternoon help. I love kids. So I'm like, sure, I'll do that. So I'm doing that. Um, then somebody reaches out. They need a Spanish teacher for adult language classes in the city. I'm like, yeah, I'll get I'll get my Spanish hat back on. So I start teaching. My friend starts a bartending business um, for weddings and events. So I'm like, yeah, I'll do some weddings. Like, sure, why not? So I'm before I know it, I'm doing like six different jobs. I'm like, wait, am I getting clearer on my life path or am I just like filling up my schedule? I don't know what's happening. Um, and I met somebody who was a professional organizer. And I was like, professional organizer? What is that? I didn't know that was a job that you could do. People will pay you to like organize their house. So she's like, yeah, and actually I have a really big job coming up. You know, we're unpacking and setting up organization systems in an entire like five bedroom house and we need extra assistance. I'm like, OK, so I'll do that. And I loved it. Like mm. I have always been an organized person. You know, every roommate that I've ever lived with has at some point had me help them clean out their closet. Um, the whole nine years. So it just, yeah, I was that roommate. I was. Um, I also washed my roommate's dishes and just <laughs> generally cleaned up after people. I did not like an untidy space. Yeah. Um, so it felt really natural. And I was like, I think this could be the future. Like the more houses that I went into, like I saw that it's a problem that a lot of people have, like too much stuff, not enough time. 
or just a general lack of knowledge on how to get organized. So mm -hmm. um, it seemed like the, the kind of perfect opportunity and I, and I went with it. So it was probably a year after I met that girl that I started an organizing business. And how long was it from organized or from launching Organized for Good to going to New York for the... I launched in February and Office. I went to New York in August. So it was oh, only okay. six so was, months. Yeah, it was quick. It was only six months. And I was yeah. like, oh, well, you know, will I have to change my whole business name or like, yeah. you know, but no, yeah. it just kind of flowed completely organically. And it was how I differentiated myself from other organizers in the area. And, yeah. um, you know, Marie Kondo had a, a cult following in the very beginning, but... I knew it was gonna be like not an easy sell to be like, let's go through all of your stuff and throw it all out if it doesn't right, start doing. Right, right. So um, I continued to offer kind of the room by room approach for busy families and people who weren't ready for such a dramatic change. Mm -hmm. um, but slowly I'm I'm shifting to an only KonMari method yeah. business because it just brings me so much more joy. It's just deeper work. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, so let's go back to Spain. Yeah. Can you talk about that experience? Just what, cause you, you yeah, what, what was that like? That not, maybe the first version, or you could talk about both, yeah. but just what was that? Yeah. Why Spain? Uh, and what was it like? Well, it was Spain because, um, honestly, my mom was too nervous to let me go to South America on my own. Mm. <laughs> but um, also Europe. I mean, Europe is phenomenal. Yeah. And I had a professor in college from Spain, and I loved his accent. <laughs> so all of those things for a college girl was enough to, yeah, to guide me there. Um, I studied abroad. I just did a summer program because I... Also, I played soccer in college, so mm. I couldn't go for a full semester and miss all the training. So I went for a summer program and I went to Granada, which is in the south. And if you've ever been to Spain and have studied Spanish, like that's not the easiest accent to comprehend. Um, but it's such an interesting culture, like the blend of like the northern African influence, the Islamic mm. influence and just such a rich history. It, it was incredible. Um, I lived with uh, a senora and like in a homestay environment. So I, you know, got to live and eat and speak and all of that. And um, there was a lot that was remarkable that just opened my eyes. I think for, for one thing, I noticed right away that my senora would like repeat her outfit a lot more than we do here. And I was like, well, that's interesting. I mean, it's really cute, but like, yeah. you know, and then, uh, because clothes are more expensive there and mm -hmm. people take better care. They buy higher quality. They take better care of their stuff and they don't have as much space to accumulate as much stuff. So I noticed the homes were smaller. You know, the refrigerators are smaller. Everything's smaller. Um, they consume less. They were even more mindful about like their water and energy consumption, mm -hmm. things like that. The recycling, they like they had you know a trash can for their organics and then glass and papers i mean they just they seem to have a lot together yeah, you know yeah. it was a much more walkable i didn't spend any time in cars um there was just a lot a lot to love and a lot to learn there well it sounds like some of that has transformed yes. or transitioned into what you're doing it absolutely had influence today yeah yeah mm -hmm. um how about the um so the you get your master's mm -hmm. and then, uh, sorry, I missed that. Your master's went back to Spain. Yeah. The second time. Yeah. Came back for the job. Yeah. 
So let's talk about the job and then you just pulled the plug, right? So you yeah. pulled the plug and then the next thing you're doing is selling toe rings yeah. at, at, <laughs> at fairs. Yeah. Uh-huh. So that process, mm-hmm. um, what was... What was behind it? What was driving you? Um, What were some barriers that inhibited you from making that move Um, prior? Yeah, uh, good question. So what was driving it was a search for more meaning. Mm -hmm. Um, I I did, it's hard because I I did get meaning from what I was doing. I knew that I was crafting experiences that were going to transform the lives of students and had that kind of same mind expanding experience that I had but I didn't get to see it. And mm. the, the structure of the organization I was working in was such that there, it didn't seem like there was a lot of opportunity for growth and expansion beyond this position that I was in. Mm-hmm. Um, and while it was the most money I had ever made in my life, like it, you know, I was putting a lot into it and I didn't necessarily feel that I was getting that out of it right um i just wanted a higher quality of life i wanted to interact with people more i wanted to be closer to the work that i was doing and like see the results of the work that i was doing um so that really drove it and then what was going on when i was doing all these crazy side hustles i don't know yeah. i don't know how i did all that yeah that's a lot <laughs> six crazy. there were six yeah. side hustles something like that it's a lot of side hustles it was a lot um okay Let's questions from the crowd. Yes. Yeah. So the question is, what do you do with furniture, clothes, things that maybe are you could potentially sell? Yeah, you could sell. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I don't personally help with the selling because I feel like that's a whole other business that I don't necessarily want to get into. And I think that there's a lot of really great platforms that can help you do that. Um, and I always refer my clients to consignment shops either here in town or um, you know, online retailers, especially for clothing that if you've got like high end luxury items, the real real is really great. Um, they certify and authenticate like Louis Vuitton and even like artwork and homeware pieces of great value. Um, so that's a really great option. And then, you know, clothes that are maybe not that high end, but are still valuable. You can sell online as well with Poshmark, ThreadUp. There's there's a couple of online options. And then there's consignment shops here in town that I recommend too. Um, but I, I generally recommend like if you're ready to let go, don't let that value hold you back from letting it go because that's just another thing for you to take care of and another thing kind of, it's an obstacle in the way of that freedom that I'm talking about. So. I think donating is a really great way to feel like you're giving back and like your stuff is going to be appreciated without kind of the expectation of the value that you think it might be worth because a lot of people hold a value in their mind that the marketplace just does not agree with. And so you have to come to terms with that. And I think just letting it go is the quickest way to freedom. But yeah, that, I, I get the question a lot. Uh, so the question was, I, I missed it. What are the qu- what are your questions? What are your questions for books and papers? Yeah, so you're referring to like when I was saying, do you feel beautiful in it, that kind of thing. So for books, the guidance from Marie Kondo is to take all of your books off of the shelf because even though you can read the binding on the shelf, when they've been there long enough, they become wallpaper and you don't really see the individual books. So you really wanna take everything off the shelf, 
and gather them all into one place and then hold each book in your hands and ask yourself, does this spark joy? So you don't want to start reading. That's a trap. <laughs> you're going to get pulled into something. You're going to get distracted. But really focus on the cover. Maybe somebody recommended it to you. Have you read it yet? Are you, you know, will you be really honest with yourself? Do you plan to read it? Like if you're not going to read it in the next month, I say let it go. Um, because there's so many used bookstores now. There's so many, you know, Audible. There's lots of options for consuming media these days that you don't need to keep a physical book in order to ensure that you're going to read it in the future. And she talks about this in the book, and I really love it. Um, like books come to you at the right time, and you pick them up at the right time. So if you let something go and it comes back, then you know, like, okay, like you're the third person to mention that title to me. I really need to read that book, you know, and kind of pick up the cues that the universe is, is leaving you. And the other thing with books is like, a lot of people hold on to like college textbooks or instructional manuals, even product manuals. And a lot of that stuff, like, it has served its purpose. Like once you set up the electronic or you've completed the course or the degree or whatever, you can let that go. I mean, a lot of people keep stuff just because they feel like it's a part of their identity. And it's not like you're still who you are. Like I still have a Spanish degree, even though I only have like two Spanish titles in my in my collection, you know, doesn't it doesn't take anything away from me to not be surrounded by that unless it sparks joy. So that's the, that's the main thing is like, how does it make you feel? But books can be really heavy and weigh you down. And especially if you have a lot of unread books in front of you, then you feel like you're failing because you're not reading these books. So just letting go of that negativity. And your other question was papers. Um, with papers, like, will I ever need to refer to this paper in the future? And is there another way that I can access this information? It's pretty simple. There's not a lot of joy in paper. And if there is, then it's like a sentimental like card or letter or something like that. So the question is, can you apply the joy of tidying philosophy to other aspects of life, finance, job, et cetera? Yes, absolutely. And that's what makes this life changing is because once you get into the rhythm of asking yourself if it sparks joy and what sparks joy, then you're being connected to a deeper sense of yourself and a deeper knowing of what is right and what is aligned with you. So when it comes to relationships, if somebody is like taking all of your energy and maybe not filling you up, same thing with a job, um, then then it's it's not an alignment it's not sparking joy like then you can let it go and the other element that i didn't mention that's so important is gratitude so as you let go of your things like you thank them even like socks with holes on them thank you socks for absorbing my sweat for cushioning my foot for you know whatever um, and now you can, you can go with gratitude. So you can apply this concept in letting go of relationships. Thank you for all that I've learned about myself through this relationship. Thank you for all that you've given me, but it's time, it's time to, to let that go. So you can, you can look back and get the lesson from each experience, from each item, from each area. Um, and, and not hold that kind of like disappointment or, you know, like if, if you're g getting rid of a, a suit that you never wore or something like that, um, you can thank that suit for teaching you that you didn't need that suit, <laughs> you know, that maybe that's not your color or that fit it doesn't work for you or that, you know, whatever. It's just not it doesn't suit your lifestyle. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, so the question is, have you come across hoarders and what's your approach? Yeah. Um, I get contacted more frequently by family members of hoarders and friends of hoarders or people who are in close proximity to hoarders than from hoarders themselves. Many times hoarders don't acknowledge that they're hoarders and it's a psychological condition. It's usually based in trauma. So there's a lot deep, deeper seated um, attachment to things because it's, it's an emotional, so how, how I approach it is I say to the family member, if your mom calls me and she's open to change and wants to meet me for a consultation, absolutely. But I won't go and do an intervention and say, okay, today we're going to see what sparks joy because the truth is for hoarders, it all sparks joy. Right. It's a dysfunction, yeah. right? So they need kind of more of a therapeutic uh, intervention, something something deeper than than what my services are are intended for. Good question. Yeah. Yeah. So the question is, what are the what are the questions that you use to to help them identify joy? Yeah. So I have worked with what I consider there's a distinction between like pack rats and hoarders. So pack rats, you know, may like to keep things, may have a hard time letting go of things. Hoarders is kind of the psychological dysfunction attachment to things. So it's it's a, it's a difference of degree. And I have worked with pack rats before and the questions are really the same. The decision can be harder, um, but sometimes just playing out like worst case scenarios you know if you were to let go you know of these five shirts like what's the worst thing that could happen like well you know maybe i run out of want i like run out of clean clothes and i don't have anything to wear is there a solution to that you can either do your laundry or you could go to the store and buy another shirt you know you can order something on amazon now prime now you know you can have something in 20 minutes so the truth is in our society most things are replaceable um and so if you can use that reason and and try and get them to disconnect from that emotional attachment then then it's okay Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. So the question is, have you seen physical changes as a result of tidying up? Well, I should have like a reunion for like my graduates so I can stay in touch with people and see how they might be changing. But um, Marie Kondo talks about in the book, like after having graduated her program, people lose weight. People, you know, maybe decide that they don't want to be married to their spouse anymore or that you know, the results are dependent on the vision that the client starts out with and 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 there's there's lots of variables I guess but um, I do have a funny story so I uh, I was working with a client in her kitchen and in in feng shui like I'm not a feng shui practitioner I understand like the the basic concept of it but we were working in her kitchen which in feng shui was the like the belly the the health center of her home and she had talked about being like really constipated and have like an upset stomach and she was <laughs> she was really like not sure if she wanted to do the session with me and I'm like oh I'm so sorry you know we can reschedule and she's like no let's do it so we like cleaned out her pantry and threw out like expired foods and totally reorganized her kitchen and she texted me later she's like I 
do I'm not constipated anymore. I had the biggest release after we worked together and I was like, Oh wow. I didn't expect that result. So yeah. I thought it was great. I'm like, yeah. I'm glad you're not suffering anymore. Yeah. But the yeah, metaphysical kind of connection <laughs> yeah. there was like, wow. It was direct correlation. Yes. yes. Mm -hmm. Other questions? Uh, so the question is, what if nothing, what if there's a fear of nothing bringing me joy and I have an empty house at the end of this yeah. process? There's a lot of memes on, on social media like, you know, my wife was doing KonMari and now all my stuff's gone. Um, <laughs> now I'm it's gone. It's pretty funny. Yeah, it's pretty funny. Uh, I have worked with clients where they're like, I don't know. Like, I feel like none of this really brings me joy. And that can be true. Um, but you know, not having any clothes doesn't really bring joy either. So there's a function, you know, clothes cover your body. You need to be covered to be in this society. <laughs> um, and, and she talks in the, in the book, I think it's spark joy about, um, she's like working with this client and they're like, well, this screwdriver doesn't bring me joy, but if I get rid of the screwdriver and I need to hang something on the wall, like what will I, Put the screw in with like I'm gonna have to use some other object and that's not gonna be efficient so it does serve a function that does spark joy so there are some kind of talk arounds like how do we get to the joy from here um, but I've never had anybody who got rid of everything I have you know had people go all the way to the end get rid of a lot and say like I love my home, but I, I now know that I don't need any of it. Like I'd be okay without it. And I think that's kind of the point too, is like joy doesn't really come from your things. It right. comes from your experiences with family and you know, there other sources. So by a process of elimination, like this does not bring me joy, no, 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 no. Then you can finally arrive at what's most important. And that's the point. That's what's life changing. Mm. What do you do with heirlooms that you're saving for the next generation? That's a tough one. Um, I've had clients who are like, you know, should I keep my wedding dress? You know, I'm thinking about saving it for my daughter kind of thing. Like, how old's your daughter? Well, I don't have a daughter yet. <laughs> <laughs> That's a personal choice. And I think more and more our culture is moving away from the heirloom tradition, which in a way could be sad, but in another way could be liberating because I think a lot of people were keeping stuff that they didn't really like because of the sense of obligation to the family, like my grandmother's china or china cabinet. And, you know, I, I don't really like all this formal stuff. Like I'm more of like a modern simplistic design style. So I don't have a good answer for that. I think that's up to everyone to decide for themselves if that's something that they want to do or not. So what question or what what is the question or what's the tactic that you use when someone acknowledges that this doesn't spark joy but also I'm not ready to let go? How mm -hmm. how do you Yeah. There there's approach? there's a lot of that and I think that the answer there is to maybe give yourself some time, you know, we're like onions and maybe you peel off a layer now and maybe you'll be able to pay, peel off another layer in a year, in 6 months or you know, I it just depends. And especially the, the longer it's taken you to accumulate this stuff, 
the longer it will take to let it go generally. Um, so, you know, a couple that's been living in a house for 30 years is not going to be able to let everything go in a weekend. Like that's a lifetime of memories and attachments to these things. Um, so I think it, it does take time and that's okay. I support that. Um, I will ask more questions like, well, you know, what's the worst thing that could happen if you did let it go and, and kind of try and get to get to the, the root of it. Like what's the fear really about? Um, some people fear letting go because of identity loss and things like that. So if you can bring your awareness to that, like, and recognize like my identity is not going anywhere, this is just stuff, um, then, then it's easier. One more. And if there's another one after that, then we'll wrap. So do you ever help people keep all their stuff? Yeah. Everything keeps joy, but you just want to help them organize. Yeah. But you still have to ask yourself individually, like, do, does it really truly bring joy? And if the answer is yes, then keep it with confidence. Absolutely. But we're just going to put it in such a way to where you can easily see and access everything you need. Um, and and that's, that's great. Mm -hmm. OK, last question. Mm -hmm. So is there an age range of interest? For, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'd say um, most of my clients are women and most of them are between, you know, 30s and 70s. So it's a pretty broad range. You know, some people are just starting out kind of their marital household, maybe just having kids and trying to, to manage not only their stuff, but the whole family stuff. Um, so there's that. And then empty nesters, retirees, trying to downsize, um, kind of reclaim their space after their kids leave the house, that kind of thing. Um, and there's definitely some influence from the depression and kind of the people pass on, even within a family. Maybe you didn't live through the, the depression, but your parents did, and so you were taught to not waste anything. And I respect that mentality. I think, um, I think that that's great, but if you're, at a point in your life where the usefulness of these things have kind of, they've served their purpose and maybe nobody in your family is interested in, in keeping these things, then, then you're going to be doing them a service by, by letting go now with intentionality and, and dwindling it down to the things that are really most important so that they can pass up. You know what I mean? When you get an inheritance, you inherit a whole house full of stuff. You're, that's a big project. Like that's a big job. And a lot of people really struggle with that. But I've worked with several clients who were approaching the end of their life and really wanted to do this, not for themselves, but for them, their family. But mm. it's, it was such a therapeutic process too, to kind of relive everything and, and yeah. And, and to keep only the things that were most important. I really like the quote, if everything is important, then nothing is important. So it's all about what are your priorities? By the hour, but I offer packages. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, okay. Any final comments, remarks? Spark joy. Spark joy. That's a good one. Okay. Please give Aaron a round of applause. Thank you, Aaron. That was awesome.